When you love farming, you want to talk about it all the time. Real people, real farms, grassroots. This is the Ontario AgCast. Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out farmruralag.com. I'm your host, Wendell Shum, and my guest today is Lindsay Smith. Lindsay is a field editor for realagriculture.com, a self-proclaimed ag nerd. Lindsay is passionate about all things farming, but is especially thrilled by agronomy and livestock production. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Hi, Wendell. You are an ag nerd, not angered. Right. See, words are very important. And <laughs> but also you might be angered slow. by the time we're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. We're we're dealing with uh, rural internet. We'll see how this goes. Right. Between me and rural internet. Yeah, there's lots of things that could set you off. Yes. Okay. Because your Twitter bio does say specifically, louder than many, shorter than most. Right. I, I don't think I'm fully grown yet. Still hoping. <laughs> what do you want to do when you grow up? Lindsay? Right. That's no, I have absolutely no hope of growing up. There's none. I, I guess volume is, is a few things, I suppose. If hand-talking amplified sound, I'd probably break certain barriers, I'm sure. But talking is your business. I mean, it that's is my your business. job. Yeah. yeah, and I completely lucked into it, actually. It, it wasn't ever really the plan. But I guess in not being afraid to get up and talk in front of people, in not being afraid to pick up a phone and do a cold call, although that has evolved, I now hate the telephone. But anyway, um, yeah, that's I, I sort of lucked into media. My background's agriculture. It's what I took in university and sort of lucked into this media thing. And so far, it's going not bad. I, I realized, what are we? We're 2019. So this September will mark 17-ish years of uh, being in this business. It's pretty cool. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. I know. Okay. I, mean, I, I look incredibly young, don't I? let's say that I'm quite a bit older than you are. 17 years, holy smokes. Yeah, and so, and what's interesting for me is that, like, I started in print, like, very traditional print media, right? So even the internet, I mean, it was a thing. I'm not that old, but (laughs) at the same time, how we did our jobs was very different. Um, Like, I remember when BSC hit in Western Canada, it was a fax that came through. That, oh my, like, yeah, I remember right? faxes, Like that's yeah. how we got mm-hmm. the news, which was a sad day. Anyway, and like I joined Twitter in 2009, I think, as like a total, it was a rogue move. Like I was editor of Grey News, which is a yep. Western okay. publication, and the mothership there, which is now named even something else, but the, the company that runs all those pubs, they didn't know what to do with social media because it was so new, but they certainly, when they saw the information I could get so quickly and that immediacy they didn't want me not to do it but they weren't 100 percent sure what i should do with it and so i actually right. started my twitter account and the whole bit sort of on my own and used it for my own devices and whatever and sort of has taken off from there but that that was like a huge game changer for me several years into my media career and so it's been this really interesting shift from you know writing and print and magazines and quarterly sort of layouts and all that all the way now to where we're on Sirius XM. You know, we do a radio show, we've got podcasts, we do audio, I do a little blurb that goes on a website. And so Real Ag, for anyone who doesn't know, Real Agriculture is strictly online. It's a very different thing because, of course, we all know that being in print means you've made it, right? Because people like bring it into the bathroom <laughs> and they keep it with yeah, them yeah, well, and that they used read to, it. Yeah, that used to be the case for that, sure, yeah. Well, I think it kind of still is. But even the print guys, Lindsay, I think they're changing their model too, where 
they break a story with Twitter, maybe, and then the print stuff becomes a long-form follow-up almost to whatever they did on social media. And there are times, and I still do every once in a while, I'll do a written piece, you know, sort of a guest column here, there, whatever, because I still like to write every once in a while the longer form because that's exactly it. Like even for us online, four to 500 words is considered a long article online, but that's not necessarily, you can't get into the goods on that. So that's where I guess podcasts come in. It's where series come in. It's personally, I still think that physical media has a place. The only farm magazines and farm papers we get are totally shoved in our mailbox. I do not subscribe Mm -hmm. to any of them, but I'd love to know who actually does because nobody pays for those things anymore. It's all free. That's the business though. That's how we've evolved. We want it all for free because it's free on the internet. Lindsay, this interview is going to be really easy for me, I can tell, because I just need to sort of wind you up and let you go because <laughs> you do this as a job. I, You know, there there are some where I feel like I have to pull stuff out. You'll probably have to edit me out. <laughs> Anything. Be like, and then you could do like the Princess Bride movie when it's like, uh, and then there's more kissing stuff. And he like edits it down. Like, Skip okay, we'll move on to the okay. fighting scene. That's what you have to do. Be like, and now she talked for three minutes about sheep. And then we can just pick it back up and away we go. Okay, well, don't take that to mean that I want you to talk less, because I certainly, I don't. Let's go back to the beginning. Are you, you talked about working for Grey News and some Western Canada publications. Are you, like, from Western Canada? Yes. So I grew up in Manitoba, actually. I just heard it when you said Manitoba. Yeah, there you you. go. Yeah, actually, if you put me in a room with Manitoban francophones, I'll pick up a francophone accent. And if you put me in a room with, like, some of the Mennonites from Manitoba, (laughs) which are totally (laughs) different than Ontario Mennonites, I'll pick that up, too. So when Kelvin Heppner and I get together, look out. Right. Um, Can I tell you my favorite uh, Western Canadian Mennonite? What do you call a Mennonite from Manitoba? What? Freezing. Yes. (laughs) And see, (laughs) any of your listeners down in the States are going to be like, what just happened to this I know. They have no idea what we're talking about. Anyway, but no, I am from uh, Manitoba originally. I grew up on a teeny little, really a hobby farm outside of Winnipeg and about 25 minutes or so. But we actually had dairy goats, which so my parents were very ahead of the curve because that's early. Yeah, Yeah. that's like the coolest thing now. Right. So um, but that was back before. And my partner, Chris, of course, makes fun of how old I am. Um, (laughs) And so, yes, we still had like vehicles and stuff. But it was actually before in Manitoba anyway, before you could buy goat milk in the grocery store it was very much like it just you couldn't find it anywhere and so my parents were we had a small dairy and we actually sold our goats to the only commercial dairy farm in manitoba that actually sold to the grocery store once they actually secured that contract let me just take a stab at this Lindsay, I'm going to guess that your parents are some kind of uh, like Western European sort of hippie-ish I'm actually on my mom's side only second generation Canadian and on my dad's I'm third um and my mom was actually totally the city girl who decided yeah that and it was like you know it was the 70s it was the back to the land thing and my dad grew up as the farm kid just outside of winnipeg and actually still owns like six acres that the city has totally grown around and he still got his little house and six acres and (laughs) shop there but my mom was the one who was like the city kid who wanted to go and like milk the goats by hand and she carried my brother right. on her back and like the okay so i had the hippie part right anyway yeah exactly and we okay. had our own big garden and like i didn't have cheese whiz till i was 10 like something <laughs> like ridiculous right and i still don't i still don't like it and i don't consider it cheese um but i was probably 10 or 11 anyway so totally that yeah like hippie the whole bit granola i now it's granola then it would have been hippie 
like grew up doing farm stuff, doing mm-hmm. chores, that whole thing. Absolutely. And it, it very much, you know, out of all my, I'm one of four kids, a well-adjusted third child. You know, we all, I think, like my sister loves to garden, my one sister and, and that sort of stuff. But I'm probably the only one that really ever sort of did something with it. And and all, like growing up as a teenager, I worked in a layer barn. I like always wanted to do something in agriculture. I just didn't know exactly what. And so maybe it's not so surprising that I sort of, fell into the media thing because I really didn't have it clearly defined. I knew that's what I wanted to go to university for. I My summer jobs were, uh, if it wasn't in a restaurant working with food, it was I worked for a really great professor at the university, Dr. Ray Smith, who's now down uh, in West Virginia, I believe. He was a forage breeder. So I worked like on an alfalfa breeding program and some turf grass stuff and like super cool stuff out west. Yeah, alfalfa seed, like breeding alfalfa is a big deal out west. Well, so yeah, because you use leafcutter bees, right? So it's a right. very specific bee that actually when they go into the flower, they actually trip the the flower to, so that it can actually be pollinated. So they're they're super helpful. They're not very pretty bees. They're very <laughs> homely bees. They're not bumblebees by any stretch. And and that's how alfalfa seed production happens. So we actually when one summer uh, we were doing crosses, and so we had these little tents, and we would release the bees in the tents with let's say fifty plants, and of the different lines that needed to be mixed together. And we had a very poor turnout of our bees. I don't know how we killed them, but we killed them. <laughs> and so Dr. Smith actually gave us essentially business cards folded in half and instructed us to think like a bee and go in there (laughs) and trip all of these flowers and cross pollinate and buzz around. And we had a lot of fun doing it. And I can still hear him in my head saying, think like a bee with his. You present a very visual image with that, Lindsay. I love it. There you go. I'm going to patent the folded (laughs) business card. So you were going down the science road a bit then too. Yeah. And that's always been like, I knew I didn't want to be like a a researcher PhD sort of thing per se, as far as I didn't want to be in a lab, but I love the analytical side of things. I like the asking a question. I'm very curious. And that Mm -hmm. I think is where the media thing has worked out really well for me in that I've always focused on the production side of agriculture because that's where my interest and my, my passion is. But I get to ask, okay, what, what is this? How does it work? Why do you do it? All those sorts of questions, right? And and that's basically what I do as a as a communicator, as as a writer, as a host, whatever it might be. I'm just curious. And so same thing with the research side. And I'm always I'm just fascinated by it. And I don't get bogged down in the sciencey stuff. I understand it relatively well, I guess. And I'm always willing to at least stretch it just a little. Have somebody explain it to me like I'm five is usually what I tell them. And right. That's what I say too. It's, yeah. When you're when you're interviewing somebody, the key is to pretend like you don't know anything about the subject, which sometimes is super easy for me. <laughs> yeah. See, and sometimes I'm annoying because, well, maybe I'll just end there. But no, sometimes I'm annoying because I I really want to know a whole bunch of stuff that's never going to make it into the article, right? Like it's yeah, way yeah. too complicated. And I'm just asking for my own interest because I want to know. Um, and so I take up far too much of their time. Yeah, okay. So did you come right out of, out of school and then into journalism? Pretty direct. Yeah, I went actually and I played cowgirl for a summer out in BC, mm-hmm. out at a ranch that was completely off grid. At a gas ranch, actually, which was yeah, it gets pretty remote out there. It yeah. does, yeah. We were uh, we were a solid forty five minutes from any sort of civilization, and that civilization was like a roadside motel and like a gas station. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was out there. Like the both of the driveways in were skitter trails, like. If anybody's yeah, done any logging, yeah. they were mm-hmm. basically skitter trails. So yeah. yeah, so I did that, and then um, I actually had planned because I wasn't quite sure what I wanted 
to do after university. And so I had planned to do like an exchange or something and go like ride ponies in the UK or something like that. And um, in the process of that, 9-11 happened. And right. I it's remember. sort yep. of, yeah, so it sort of put a breaks on that. That's how I ended up at the ranch in BC because I was like, well, if I can't go to the UK, I'm going to stay in Canada. So I stayed in Canada. And then when I came home from the ranch, I, I kind of... I needed a job. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And a friend of mine worked at this publishing uh, company called Issues Inc., which still exists. Uh, but at the time, it was owned by Robert Anderson. It was, for the most part, magazines. I think we had six at the time. And they were looking for a marketing assistant who would be willing to cold call uh, advertising. Here's yeah. where the cold calling comes in, right. Was that ag-focused? Yes. So all of it, seed industry, um, yep. did the ag retail side, so, uh, the Alberta Seed Guide. It was all agriculture-focused. So I had an ag background, but I wasn't actually hired with any of that. But my, a friend of mine said, well, would you would you pick up the phone and call a stranger and talk to them? I'm like, <laughs> yes. And they're like, okay, you're hired. And then shortly thereafter, but it was a small shop. And you got really good at taking rejection then. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. People didn't hate being called back then. Like people like me yeah, I know. hate phone it's, calls now, right? Yeah, I, w- I was a rookie sales rep knocking on doors Yeah. back in the like early 90s. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like I had to take the rejection face to face. Yeah, but- I was on the end of the line. I didn't care. Like people are so much more cynical today. It's so much harder today than it was back then. Yeah, I would agree. But people also did pick up their phone then. Whereas like, I don't, if you, if you don't text me and tell me you're calling me, I'm probably not going to answer the phone. Exactly. Like I'm probably (laughs) not going to. Anyway. So yeah. And anyway, so it was a small shop and Robin asked me after I'd been there a couple months, if I wanted to take a couple articles, like very simple sort of one pager things and give them a shot. And I said, sure. And I guess I wasn't awful. Because then I got a few more assignments to fill in. And then actually, and Robin was wonderful for this and, and frankly still is. She's a fantastic mentor. And if you were interested in learning, she'd give you uh, give you the platform to do it. And so I ended up taking a couple creative writing courses, a couple sort of headline writing courses, uh, not a journalism training by any stretch, but at least some some encouragement and some outside sort of information. And, and I learned by red pen. Robin would just take, she'd print out what I'd write because we, yes, we did work on computers it wasn't that long ago um but she would actually print it out and she would take a red pen to it and tear it apart and hand it back oh yeah fix it which sometimes i will tell you i wish i could do it it was an evolution to start editing magazines on screen only and there there's just our brains work differently looking at paper than honestly do Yeah. yeah and so there are times where i i wish i could take a red pen to things and send it back but anyway i digress Okay, so were you always involved in production? Because you're farming again now, as well as your job at Real Ag. Yeah. Were you always involved in the livestock industry or, no. or how did you get so, well, back to there? I've always tried to be. This is by far, so I'm only uh, coming up on sort of my third year of actually skin in the game and paying the bills and watching the money walk out the door um so yeah which is super exciting and yeah so we we run a sheep farm here uh, within ottawa city limits which is kind of cool um although if you look at ottawa city limits they're massive so there's a lot of people that farm within Ottawa city limits um and we we are headed into our second full season of custom grazing a solar installation so uh yeah yeah we have a solar installation about 10 and when you say we Lindsay, you mean you and chris and chris uh, yeah also known as as Kinburn. Yeah, Kinburn um, Cheap. Yeah. An early guest on, on the Ontario yes. Cast, but yes. still to this day, one of the most downloaded podcasts we've ever done. He is a polarizing <laughs> figure. 
And he probably will hate anything I say about him, so I'm probably not allowed to say anything. Well, you f- you feel free to let loose anytime yeah, you want. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, no. So, um, yeah, so people probably don't need to. If they've been listening along, they already know. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, so Chris and I, we farm here. Um, and so this is his family farm. It was his grandparents' dairy farm. And uh, so I came into his life a couple of years ago. We had actually known each other for years before that. But, um, yeah, we have, I don't know several hundred sheep and plans for a whole lot more because the solar grazing is super cool. But guess what? 180 acres of land with solar panels on it is still like 180 acres. Talk to me about the solar grazing. Big companies put up these solar farms, I guess, and it would be like 180 acres of solar installations? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so our site, we call it ours, it's EDF. Is a, it's a company based out of Montreal that uh, actually runs it. They yeah. own half of it and they lease half of it. And uh, they have, I don't know, I think it's 10 sites in Ontario. I think four just in eastern Ontario. But um, this particular site has been there. It's one. Of, it was one of the first in Ontario. And so it's actually on very good land, which they don't do anymore and for good yeah. reason, right? And yeah. we can talk about the politics of, of solar, but... <laughs> Uh, the way we looked at it was it's already there. It's going to be there another 10 years. It's still productive soil, but they're mowing it. And we've got sheep and right. we'd love to expand our flock, but we've only got, you know, 100 acres and a chunk of that is maple bush and rock and whatever because we've got yep. Canadian Because you're in the Ottawa Valley. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so the soil that's here is productive, but it's in between a lot of rocks, right? So we, we I actually, speaking of cold calling, I, I quite literally like Googled the company and found a contact and sent an email and said, we've got sheep. We'd love to do a pilot project. Is there any interest in using sheep to do weed abatement? And so yeah. that we did a pilot project the fall of 2017 and then a, a successful pilot project. So that was just like 50 ewes. We did just in the fall. We were there for like a month. Um, and then we were in there full time last year and actually lambed there and the whole bit. Uh, and then we are back this year. So it is going really well. It's super exciting. Steep learning curve. So I'm, I've always worked with livestock. I've worked with horses. I've worked with goats, cattle, all that sheep. Really, the only experience I really had with sheep before meeting Chris was like stockman's club in university. And we yeah. had, like judge them or whatever. And we had to like, you know, you're supposed to feel them when they're in full wool so that you can tell what condition they're in. And they had kids, which are gross. And so, like, stuck my hands into the sheep and I was like, this is disgusting. Anyway, but I was like, they're kind of cute and they're delicious. So I may as well raise them anyway. But they are really perfect for weed abatement and yeah. and mowing because unlike goats, they don't climb and chew a lot. Um, cattle would be too big and would rub on the path yeah. to break things. Right. That would um, be a problem. Yeah. And so the sheep do... And our sheep especially, Chris did a great job in training his sheep to eat just about anything. So they eat grapevines <laughs> and raspberry canes whenever because he's cheap and nope. that's still feed. So you turn him out, you teach him how to to eat it. And like they love willow trees. They love Manitoba maples. They, like they strip them down. So right. they've got to keep everything, yes. you know. Yeah. And, like- and it's actually, it is a very interesting, like, you have to change your mindset from being a sheep farmer to being like weed abatement, right? So it has definitely been a steep learning curve because, of course, the solar site is used to twice a year, the tractors come in with yeah. big mowers and the whole yep. site gets done 
all yes. at once. Now, it, why we're in there really is that A, that's expensive. B, it uses a whole bunch of fossil fuel. And C, and this is maybe maybe the real kicker, is that the mowers can't get directly under the panels because there's posts. Right. They yeah. get right underneath and they eat all that stuff that grows up those posts and through the panel because shade is the enemy, right? Yeah. So anything that goes up through the panel and shade. So like they were spending all this money hiring guys to like literally walk the panels and snip and pull down grapevines and the whole bit or you've got to use herbicides which we all love herbicides but that's bloody expensive Um, and still there's no real like there's no real easy way to spray either so sheep have become I think an incredibly good fit and we're proving that out but I mean there's definitely a learning curve we had and is the company using this, like, are they, are they going to turn this into part of their story about... They have, you know, and I think, yeah, and we'll see more of it. I think they, I know that they, before we came on site, they had also invited a beekeeper on site to put up some hives because, of course, there's clover and there's there's all sorts of, you know, flowering plants on site as well. <laughs> they had bees there already, which Chris hates bees. I love bees, <laughs> so... Well, hey, you know what I just realized, Lindsay? Yeah. You can tell Chris this. You know, I just realized you guys are hippies again. Right? It's coming <laughs> sort of ultimate way. Soon we're going to talk about wool and how I think that wool should replace all plastics. And oh, yes. Yeah, anyway. No, it's so totally true. Although I don't have enough time to go full granola. Like, <laughs> like we still eat, like, chicken nuggets. Because, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I raised some birds last year. We butchered them, you know. But, yeah, we're kind of, it's all coming full circle. But, like, I have limits. And you're doing, so you guys are doing the sheep outside all the time with dogs, you know, predators, not like those sissies in Southwestern Ontario with sheep in in barns, right? (laughs) Well, no, we have, so we actually run two flocks. So we have an annual flock, which is our grazing flock that goes to solar. And then we actually have an accelerated flock because we have an old bank barn. So Chris's grandparents were dairy farmers. So we have the infrastructure. We do like to lamb out uh, a couple groups a year, especially in the the off seasons that we can sort of take advantage of of some of those spring prices for lamb, Mm -hmm. um, as well as spread out our cash flow and spread out our risk a little bit. So we do do have an accelerated flock as well, which is Chris's original flock that, uh, that of course, we, I don't know, every time. So today in particular, so we're, we will be lambing by the weekend likely. And of course, Chris has been working very hard to try and get the barn ready. And of course, mm-hmm. the stupid old gutter cleaner has broken four <laughs> times. And I just, I quite literally just want to sell everything that's in there or like move them all outside. Because even our, I will say, even our accelerated flock, they live outside in the summer. We graze yep, sure. pretty much everybody. But I just want to like move everybody out and just shut it down and then wait for a really nice day in the summer and just bulldoze the thing. But anyway, I don't get to make that call. We're a team. We have to decide together. You've never had those days where you really even farming. Like, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Anyway, by the time we started to talk, Wendell, it was running. Touch wood. I'm not texting him <laughs> while we're talking to see if it still is because I don't want to be the reason it's not. And whatever. We'll get through it. But yeah, we, we it is a bit different. Sometimes I wonder and, and um, you know, Sandy Brock is good friend of ours and we talk quite often and she's totally a mentor for me on this and even though we have very to a podcast without sandy's name well we can't right she's (laughs) she is like ontario agriculture like royalty anyway (laughs) i mean that because she also badmouths princesses all the time so anyway (laughs) you know sandy there are days definitely where i text her i'm like well this is just stupid trying to run an accelerated flock and an annual flock and like we just need to specialize and we just need to and then there's always the i sit down and we talk it over and it's like we just can't leave the building empty right like so impractical how could you have that barn that stays above counterintuitive to farmers you gotta use it so we use it is there anything specific? So you said 
the sheep that are doing the weed abatement. Mm-hmm. And so is this a thing where, like, is it free resource to you guys or, or is this something where this is a service you're providing? Yes. No, we get paid. And there's no way we could do it without getting paid, I got to tell you, because it is incredibly, t- like, it's a big time commitment because you're not a sheep farm anymore. You're a weed abatement company, right? Okay. So we, first of all, we have to invest quite a bit in that uh, we, so this site is much bigger than definitely what people are used to in the state. So in the States, a lot of sites are 10, maybe 20 acres. And there are quite a few people who are grazing them. Uh, But they, for the most part, like they literally turn the sheep out in them because they're 10 acres or or 20 acres. And they might, so we though, because it's, a, because it's immense, um, and B, because of just the job we want to do and, and those sorts of things. We actually, our sheep are penned at all times using electric netting. Your controlled We grazing. control where they go uh, yeah. for a couple of reasons. Mostly to do a really good job. Um, also because it's just so huge. They they lit- We need them to focus on getting each row done or else they literally, unless we had 2,000 sheep, we couldn't get it all done at once, right? Um, right. But, and then you wouldn't have enough feed for them through the season. Well, exactly, right? We'd have to find a second spot. So it's a, I think we will get somewhere where like around the 500 used lambing out there is going to okay. be the sweet spot. It sort of depends on the growing season. And it so we'll get there. We're not there yet. I think we'll get there in two years. But um, so this season and then maybe by next season after. We'll see. Anyway, so it's intensive. So first of all, we have to have insurance uh, because we are on a power plant, basically. So we have to pay for our own insurance. Um, we have to have uh, hard hats and steel toe boots and eye protection. We have to, we had to do a training course for being on site. And we have to be, we have to check our sheep every day. We do anyway, simply because we have to feed the dogs and we want to check on them. We move them depending on growing conditions and site we move them every day to two days to three days, but probably not more than that. Are there like power plant technicians and, and repair people? Are they sort of on the site doing work on the panels? So, yeah. And so that's the other thing is that we have to be like, if we have an animal die, we have to remove it immediately. If the sheep get out, we have to be there to put them back in right away. If at any time <laughs> they needed to access where the sheep were, we need to be able to move them immediately. And those okay. sorts of things. And there's a level of performance that they expect, right? So they are paying us instead of paying mowers. So we have to maintain the abatement to the level that they would expect. Now, it's going to look a little different. And that's actually part of the learning curve of what we're doing is that, again, unless we had 2000 sheep that we literally turned out there for like a week, and then scoop them back up and took them out, we're never going to get that all the stuff gets done the same at the same time. And so that is a bit of a, we actually hate it last year, if you can believe it. There is, Mm. if you find- You hate it. Yeah, we did. We hate in between, we cut hay in between the solar panels because we had, well, if anybody would like to remember last year, um, (laughs) it it It, did turn very hot and dry, but it was very wet in the spring. Grass grew. Especially for for us. And we got, it turned very hot and the grass growth went nuts and we could not keep up. Like the, well- I don't know. I guess I could, but the sheep couldn't. <laughs> so we actually did first cut, like we cut in between each panel with a front mountain mower. You can't rake those. So, but the bales turned out okay. We actually had, because it turned dry, we actually had a window. Um, and so it, it took quite a long time because Chris had to do, our baler did fit in between the rows, but like just <laughs> barely. So it was a very slow process. But anyway, yeah. Lindsay, so, I'm thinking this model could be translated. I think there's oh, more yeah. could be done. You could, I'm looking out, the grass is poking through the snow here in my front lawn and uh you know i'm thinking neighborhoods might want to not 
like have to cut their lawn every week and you could come put a couple of sheep out there and and move them from neighbor to neighbor and absolutely and, and yeah like yeah. lawn care services so and they fertilize as they go now the problem <laughs> is their window and trust me this is not the first i've had this idea although i usually use goats because a goats are cuter and b they actually care about you and come when you call uh sheep do not they do not care about you at all they just want to eat their grass and have their baby and ignore you entirely anyway it's definitely, it's maybe not a model for suburbia, though I'd love to say that it is. I definitely <laughs> think it's a model for a um, solar installations or any sort of industrial sites that have grassy areas, whatever. Um, but I would say in our in our area, in neighboring counties that have wild parsnip issues in the ditches and those sorts of things, which is a huge issue out here, roving flocks of sheep and or goats or a mix of the two would actually be a fantastic win-win for a lot of people in that... Yeah. Sheep and goats, now they eat different things, but they will actually eat wild parsnip, for example. They'll eat a lot of other nasty weeds, but they can get to places that are rocky or too steep or yeah. whatever that equipment just can't. And so what's sure. our what's our alternative? It either gets left to go for seed and then, you know, it spreads all over, or then we've got to use herbicides, which which again are great, except for A, they're expensive, and B, my frustration maybe more than anything, being an agronomy geek like I am, is I cannot <laughs> stand seeing them spraying at the wrong bloody time of year like right. there is an ideal time to control certain weeds and unfortunately when you start going through several levels of government to get a job done and you've got you know this order and that order and whose job is it and whatever it doesn't get done at the appropriate time and so then we've lost the efficacy of that herbicide so well and in ontario on you know lawns you're, you can't spray pesticides anymore and i live one house up from a municipal ditch that just is full of weeds mm -hmm. all summer. And I'm thinking, all I got to do is fence this one yeah, end seriously. and maybe one at the other end. And I could just turn a couple of sheep out there. Yes. And the dandelion problem is completely looked after. They love dandelions <laughs> and they're very nutritious for sheep. They also love lamb's quarters. Irony, I know. And then you just send an invoice to your municipality or whatever and be like, you know, mowing services. And then you make money off it. We're onto something there, Lindsay. Yeah. Okay. Well, if it works, let me know because I plan on doing that with ours too. I don't know about that. So as part of this, yes. have you had to become like a spokesperson almost? Surely people from the city see this. Like, do you get questions? Does the company direct people? So well, I think we'll work? get there. I, it, it is still very new. Like last year was our first full season. So we moved in in May. We moved them out in November. Um, it We learned a lot. I mean, I can't speak for EDF, but I know that in the meetings that we have, I mean, they're, they're really keen on this. They want this to work. They want to expand this to other sites. And I know that there are other solar companies that even as they're building these sites are starting to think forward and thinking, all right, we've got to seed this down to something. Once these panels mm -hmm. go in, you know, what should we be seeding it down to? And what are we going to use for, for weed abatement or for plant control? If we're going to use sheep, should we be planting something different than maybe we thought we would yeah. or, or whatever. So we've definitely, definitely had a lot of those conversations. It's something that I think the potential is absolutely massive. And we, we aren't, I should mention, um, there is another sheep farmer way down, I think, oh, where are they? Holstein, I want to say. Anyway, super far, uh, the Lewises. So Lewis and Stock, they were the very first ones that did this. We are not the first, but their situation is even just a little bit different than ours in that they were the farmers that actually had, you know, a rocky, sandy sort of marginal piece of land that they mm -hmm. they have actually leased. And so they fenced it for sheep. So they are very lucky because A, it's a smaller site and B, they actually fenced it. They buried the fences so that they can just turn their sheep out 
they don't have to do what we do, which is the, the like moving and then all that sort of stuff. So we're not the very first, but we are probably the only ones doing it this way. And I will say there is for our friends in the States, uh, there is the American Solar Grazing Association, which just started maybe a couple of years ago. And we actually had a representative come up here from Vermont and there's definitely sort of an increasing amount of attention and there's actually some research going into sort of, uh, you know, how good is this for the soil? What are some of the pitfalls that we need to avoid? Like that sort of stuff. So I definitely think as this goes forward and certainly just in our own community, uh, I know that people love seeing the sheep back at the farm. So when the sheep do finally make it, so it is bordered on two sides, on one side by a pretty major road and then a, a side road on the other side. And when the sheep make it to those outside areas, we always get either texts or Facebook messages or there's there's a, we're close to Armprior and so there's a Facebook mm-hmm. group called What's Up Armprior and people stop and take pictures and they post them on there and they, and people around here all say that they're so glad to see sheep and, and some sort of farming, because, of course, it's an old farm. Like, there's an old yeah. silo there, there's an old barn, and this was this was productive farmland. And so people are super excited to see food and fiber being grown again on this land. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's great that the company is, you know, has taken this risk with us, and we've got a lot to learn. Um, and it's a little overwhelming, but I think the potential is just huge it's super well yeah clearly you have your hands full with doing all the sheep stuff Mm -hmm. and you've got three kids yeah Um, is it three now yeah that's the my notes say yeah it's a lot yeah i don't know there could be an extra one i don't know (laughs) is it is it just two no it's three yeah yeah no my oldest turns 11 next month and my boy is just turned seven and then our little charlotte will be two in june so we so how do you balance all that um i don't actually (laughs) very (laughs) poorly is my answer (laughs) we work odd hours i i am i will say this to sean Haney, my boss at real agriculture who i consider one of my best friends and who i've known a very long time yeah Yeah. he's all right yeah he and i work very well together he also understands he's got three kids too but he has teenagers the poor man anyway um (laughs) although i guess one day i will too but uh he understands like i work at 5 30 in the morning a lot and he's okay with that and it means that sometimes at one o'clock i'm in the barn and or i'm at the solar site or i'm whatever but I'll be up at 5.30 and I'm pretty, I'm better now at like once I sign off my computer at night, I don't open it back up till 5.30, but I'm at my desk at 5.30. Yeah. But I like that. And, I'm productive. But there must, and there must be some travel that you have to, to Yeah, well, and that, this is where I will say hats off to him. Um, I am very lucky that since coming back to work after Charlotte, for the most part, I'm not doing a ton of travel and that is really largely because of having three kids and, and one so yeah. young at her foot and the whole farm. And we don't actually have a lot of family around here or, or friends as support. So it is really difficult um, to sort of balance all of that. That is probably another whole podcast. But uh, but I will say we, you know, Chris and I work very well together. We, for the most part, sort of he's got his stuff he's got to get done. I've got my stuff and we manage as best we can. And I drink a lot of coffee. And use technology, I'm guessing. Yeah, we do. And and that is a wonderful thing, right? I do my job from home. And it means I don't have a commute. It means so I save those two hours of my day. They're productive hours. Um, I can, you know, when we do have to travel or anything like that, I can do my interviews. I can record from anywhere um, and those sorts of things. So it works. Nobody's really put off by that anymore. I don't think the time of face-to-face where you have to be face-to-face. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still think there's a whole segment of media ag media maybe specifically where like going to the farm shows is a big deal you know actually being yep. at the farm shows and, and doing that kind of stuff i don't think that that matters 
as much anymore. Who is the sort of most famous person you've had the chance to interview as part of Real Ag? Ooh, that's fun. That's a good one. Because I will say that's probably one of my favorite things is the the incredible people that I do get to meet or or share a meal with or, yes, sometimes even get to interview. So um, I will definitely say that um, I did get to interview Clara Clara Hughes uh, right. a couple of years ago at Farm Tech. And Canadian speed skater, yes. even though she's yeah. famous in Canada. There's and a bunch of people who are not going to know who she is. Yeah, exactly. She's an Olympian and a fellow yeah. Winnipegger yeah. and a, a huge advocate for mental health. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was that was uh, wonderful. I also got to interview Romeo Dallaire at the same at the same event, which was yep. I had heard him speak before, and that was that was pretty neat. And at that same uh, Farm Tech. Uh, Brian Mulrooney. I didn't get to interview him, but I did get to meet him, and he was incredibly gracious. And and these sorts of Former things. Former Prime just, Minister Brian Mulrooney. Yeah. So I mean, that is really neat. But I will tell you, probably some of my favorite chats that I that I get to have are probably when I get the chance to do sort of farmer like profiles, and you know they're very farm. So years ago, one of the ones I remember probably the most in my print days is I got to remember these interview these two gentlemen. And their names escape me right now because it was a long time ago. It was before kids <laughs> even. Um, but they they were two gentlemen in southwestern Saskatchewan, one a green and hog farmer and one a cattle rancher. And they were working together separately, separate businesses, but wherever their businesses could benefit from working with the other, they did. And... They had this fantastic communication. They had this great way of saying, okay, so this land, graze your cows on there because they can clean up the, you know, the peace double and they can whatever. And okay, so this grain is more profitable if we put it through the hogs. So we'll put it through the hogs and I'll take your manure and spread it on this land. And and they worked cooperatively and together how it made sense for both of their businesses and it's one of it was one of those ones and they toured me around and it's always my favorite thing when I get to go and tour farms and hop in the truck or hop in whatever and someone gives me a couple hours of their time and I've done interviews sitting in the buddy seat in the combine I've done interviews and yep. in a very bumpy road in a pickup truck and trying to take notes and the whole bit but one that was it was an amazing day it was a fantastic day of seeing what was possible when people would communicate and genuinely wanted to work together but maintain their independence and it's one of those things that I think in agriculture we often struggle with is we see all these ways we could probably work together and get ahead but whether it's ego or whether it's personality or whether whatever we don't do it and and we don't get there and that was one of those ones very early in my career where I was like okay so it is possible it is not this like you know, unicorn that never happens. It does happen. <laughs> it just doesn't happen a lot. And so those are still my favorite when I get to do those, which I get to do them a lot less. Although um, it is one of the favorite things that Chris and I do is tour other farms. And yeah. we are totally the kind of people that will show up at your door at <laughs> eight in the morning or three in the afternoon and just be like, we've noticed you had sheep. Can we come see them? Um, right. It we, never gets, it never gets old. No. And we always bring our own biosecurity booties. So you don't have to be like, uh, sorry, no, no, no. We come prepared. You can now please show us around because we both love it. So yeah. Well, that's excellent. If you ever, if, if you ever want to tour female and you're ever down in Southwest Ontario, you know, you can stop. I, you know what? I totally will because I love the smell. Well, maybe your female smell different, but, um, <laughs> little tidbit, I went to high school in Landmark, Manitoba, um, home of Landmark Feeds, which has yeah. now been bought by Elite Swine or something. Anyway, Somebody. um, Maple Leaf or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, so, but the feed mill was like the main 
that was what made landmark right that was like a huge employer Mm -hmm. and there's i mean it's a it's a town of like i don't know a thousand people um and that smell when they were making feed that city people who move there for like the quiet country life would always complain about i love i absolutely that smell smells like home i love yeah they're fantastic you didn't live next to a pet food plant then where they use a lot of fish although not not quite the same yeah no there is a there (laughs) there is a maple leaf it used to be burns anyway there's a maple leaf plant on the east side of winnipeg and good lord when the wind's blowing that one direction there's there's rothsay which is like the rendering plant and then (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh yeah it's uh the smell of money i guess right is that what that is Hey, not everybody loves the smell of dairy manure. No, but I do. What I tell my family, you know, yep. that's what where daddy's paycheck comes from. Well, in Manitoba, it was hog manure because for a long time, <laughs> hogs were the thing to be in. And my dad used to tell me that was the smell of money, but uh, not so much anymore. For precious few, it is, I suppose, <laughs> after we lost a whole bunch of them. But I did live in Manitoba. There was a, many people don't know this, but there was a moratorium for years on new mm-hmm. new builds for yep. hog barns. And so it, it's actually interesting in, in moving from out west, and that's a whole other story of, I've lived in Saskatchewan too, and, and BC, but never Alberta. I don't know why. But anyway, um, in moving to Ontario, what's sort of fascinating to me in, you know, some of these, you know, we went through the neonic regulations and, you know, we've got all this politicking with dairy and all these sorts of things is that like in other jurisdictions, we have had significant government cut in of mm-hmm. ag industries and, and it doesn't get talked about as much and, and sort of what happened and, and you know, where we've been since then and, and that sort of stuff. And so it's perspective that I find interesting in Ontario. I love all of you, but not enough of you get outside of Ontario. I'm just going to put it <laughs> <in there. laughs> Well, I you guys, Ontario, to, I, to travel yeah. more. You need to get out, talk to farmers. I cannot, I can't, I can't argue that yeah. at all, Lizzie. No. Yeah, there you go. Because yeah, well, this has been fun. I appreciate you taking some time and having this conversation, catching up on how you ended up grazing sheep in the Ottawa Valley is a is a great story. Thank you for sharing some of the the stories about agriculture the way you do. Anytime, Wendell. It's a lot of fun. Excellent. We'll talk again soon. This has been the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast is produced by Christine Schoonerwood of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agricultural podcasts and video blogs, be sure to check out farmrealag.com. If this is the last podcast we ever do, it's been fun. If not, we'll see you next time.